0: Welcome to Coachville Caffeine for Monday, April 25th, 2011, the world headquarters for the Play Big Revolution with our host, Dave Buck. It's show 295. We're coming to you live through our call-in lines and webcasting live on Blog Talk Radio. We're playing big with relationship coach Janet Ong today on the Caffeine. Let me hand things over to Coaching Maven Dave Buck and Coach Deanna Stahl for our Monday Boost. Hello there.
1: Hey, Captain. How are you?
0: Very well. How's it going this fine Monday?
1: It's a fine Monday indeed. And uh, Coach Deanna is here. Hello to you. Hello there, everybody. Awesome to have you here. And we have our um, our guest, uh, Coach Janet Ong, is here. Hello, Janet.
2: Hi, Dave. Hi, Deanna. How are you?
1: We're awesome, it sounds like. We're <laughs> <It's> good. <laughs> well, we're very happy to have you on our show today.
2: Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here.
1: Well, that is good. Then we're all just excited. Now, before we get to Coach Janet, I have a movie review.
0: Ooh.
1: I, I went this weekend to go see... Atlas Shrugged, Part 1. And this movie really got me agitated. I'm just going to tell you all this right now. (laughs) I am agitated. I also went to see Hannah this weekend. It was a big movie weekend. So I went to see Hannah. And that was, you know, uh, basically a chase movie with an intriguing plot line. But, you know basically Hannah is just hauling ass away from evil people all the whole movie long. <laughs> it's basically this sixteen year old girl who was trained to become an assassin, hauling ass, running away from people, trying to have a life where she doesn't have to kill people. Basically is that's bottom line. It was very it was it was kind of an interesting and fun movie. And it definitely gave me a new a new method for working out. It's just basically you just go and haul ass, pretend someone is chasing you, and then uh, you get in shape for right the cast.
3: <laughs> I don't have to find evil people to chase you now, do I?
1: <laughs> no, no. I, I could just imagine them, or you can imagine you're the one doing the chasing. <laughs> that also is, is another fun idea. Um, okay, so I saw Hannah. That was that was all I have to say about that. Now, Atlas shrugged. I will be totally straight up. I have always wanted to read this book, but have never gotten through it. It's a monster of a book, and but now that I've seen the movie, part one. Apparently, they. I mean, it is a. It's a huge book, and they're doing it in three parts. Of the movie. So part. The first film is part one. So I watched this film. Now, I. I you know, those of you who listen to the show, I don't. I mean, my. Views on the world do kind of sneak out from time to time, even though it's not a political show. But I would just be straight up, I'm pretty much a full on libertarian. I mean, that uh, that's just the truth. I am a full on libertarian. So, and this, you know, Anne Rand was a, you know, I guess she called herself a capitalist, but definitely uh, she was a, a, a libertarian, you know, I would have to say she would you would put her in the libertarian category. And so this movie from the book, and apparently, well, they set the movie in the future, which was fascinating the way they did it. So they set the movie about five years ahead um, of now. But the thing that's scary is, as you watch the film, you can see how what's happening now is leading to... Where this movie is, it's not so far in the future where you think, "Oh, that'll never happen. It's like, oh, you know what I can kind of see that's sort of happening now, and it's pretty gloomy, it's pretty gloomy and and so I definitely encourage you to see it and to the the real the the issue at hand is and and I think, and I just interrupted myself, I know the the issue it has to do with. Uh, personal uh, success and personal freedom? And how, how do you weigh the balance of what is needed from society and what it, for society as a whole to prosper? And what is needed to allow creative individuals to, to prosper? and how do you weigh those two out and i think you know when the book was written in the 50s um it maybe wasn't so easy to see how those two could come together in a really powerful way and i and, and i think now there is some new ways that are possible now that were not possible then but it really is interesting to see what happens when you when you lean towards you know taking care of the all and having that be your focus and not enabling a world where the individuals who have the energy and the ideas and the vision to prosper and to feel like their individual efforts can be rewarded. So it's fascinating to watch. So I highly recommend that you see it. it. It gives you, it'll give you some interesting perspectives, you know, politically for sure, but also with regards to, um, how do we create an environment where individuals can thrive as individuals and then also still add value to the lives of others through their individual success? And I think that's really what the, movie, what the book and the movie is about, is we need to create a world where individual success, individual effort is rewarded with the idea that as individuals thrive, creatively thrive in the world, what they produce will be a value to all or at least a value to the greater community so uh it doesn't go that way in the book but that you can see that's what the book is trying to say so if you never were able to get yourself through the actual book even though it's a you know a 20th century classic uh i highly recommend you go see the film and uh we'll play along with uh the film and 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 uh, explore it you know as the different parts uh come out. So that's my uh that's my little movie, my cultural uh update for this week. Deanna, do you have anything you'd like to add about this?
3: Well, I, I mean, I didn't even know the movie was coming out, so I'm, I'm curious to, to check it out because I actually did make it through the book. Um, wow. And um, because I was a huge Anne Rand fan when I was in high school, so I went through this Anne Rand period. Yes. And, you know, I'm just remembering pieces of the book. But, I mean, at the beginning you said you see concepts of the book in what's happening now. And, and that yes. kind of piqued my curiosity, but if you didn't take that any farther.
1: <laughs> oh, well the the one of the big things in the book is the is how individual effort can be rewarded. Okay. But how often the government's perspective is what's best for all versus what's best for the individual. Right. And And so when you take too many moves with government in terms of being in control of things rather than letting individuals take care of themselves, then you begin to slowly create an environment where individual performance is not, there's no reward for it or it becomes too hard to succeed because the government, in trying to take care of everyone, creates obstacles for the few who are really trying to do great things. You know, and the, the and, I, and I'm not even speaking so much about Republican versus Democrat, because I think that's almost a nonsensical argument, because they both look pretty much the same to me, anyway. I mean, they they come up with the same goofy policies, they just argue about details. But but the thing is you can see things where you know like in in the movie they make a, a there's a little sideline point about how the government is paying people to not be productive so that then they don't you know get too far ahead of other people and you know you hear all these crazy things like farmers being paid not to grow corn you know is something that happens and you have, you know, obviously the health care thing, like we all have to be in this healthcare thing, even though, I mean, I personally think, why do I have to be in a health care thing? I don't drink. I don't smoke. I fast on a regular basis. I do everything to be personally healthy. Why do I have to pay for a health care bill for people who drink and smoke and don't give a damn? I don't want to pay for it.
3: It's kind of like we're creating a country of learned helplessness.
1: Well, that's, and and when you look at some of the, well, when you look in the movie, you go, oh, my God, the government is so out of control trying to fix everything. They just keep making it worse and worse. In the movie, it's really clear. When you look at, you know, our U.S. government, it's not quite so blatant, but it's not far off. You can see the seeds of it there. So that's what I, I suggest you go see the movie, and then you think, oh, you know what? I can see a seed of this or that happening uh, you know, in our government where everything is like, oh, the government's going to fix that and the government's going to take care of this and the government is going to, you know, have to take care of this and fix that and solve this problem. But every everything they go to fix, they make worse. Or most things, anyway. So that's just, you know, again, I totally e- declare in advance I'm a full-on libertarian. So that's my <laughs> that's my overall outlook on life. But uh, I would, I I, I think it, it's a movie worth seeing. And and again, as coaches, we are in an interesting position because coaching is all about the pursuit of human greatness. But our perspective on it is that human greatness is when individuals thrive by expressing their talents and gifts in a way that adds value to the lives of others. So. That's what human greatness is. It's how does does an individual step up to the challenges that they face to pursue greatness for for themselves, but in a way that adds value to others. And I think that's the idea that, you know, we're coaching for. We want to live that way for ourselves, and we want to uh, create an environment for our players where they feel like their individual contributions are recognized And yet, at the same time, they feel like they are part of something bigger, part of a team, part of uh, something. You know, and that's, you know, it's the pursuit of human greatness combined with the idea that together we play better. And how do we keep these two forces, the togetherness piece and the individual effort is rewarded and acknowledged piece? How do we keep these two influences, which sometimes could seem to be going apart from each other, how do we keep them in the proper amount of creative tension where they're they're, they're, they both have a tendency to either go flying apart or collapse into each other. And how do we keep it so that they stay side by side with these two parallel tracks? Interesting parallel tracks because the movie is, you know, the metaphorical theme or not the metaphorical. Yeah. The metaphor behind the movie is the railroad. So, the, you know, it's a very interesting thing to, to look at how we need to keep the parallel tracks parallel and don't let them split apart, but also don't let them crash into each other. So, Deanna, since you read the book many moons ago, and that doesn't surprise me being the voracious reader that you are, and 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 it is true, I, I've i always been a bit of an Ayn Rand fan, fan but, you know, only kind of skimmed through the books because I just couldn't make it through them. But just her philosophy, I always thought, was fascinating. And I had no idea this movie was coming out. It was yeah, like it was a big I. secret. Until so
3: you talked about
1: it, I had no idea. was like a big secret. Like Then all of a sudden, I was at the theater. I'm like, oh, my God, Atlas Shrugged is a movie? I didn't know that.
0: <laughs> well, I, I did a little looking up here uh, real quick to get some info on Atlas Shrugged. And it is a, a it's a lower-budget movie that is being... Uh, Publicized through non-traditional ways, it is being publicized through because it's political in overtones. It's it's being publicized uh, through the Tea Party movement and Freedom Uh. Works. So those organizations on their websites, you know, almost like like a motivational film that has like you know a a small budget and stuff. They go through whatever outlets they can find that appeal to the subject matter. So. That is that is why your uh, your film has kind of caught you by surprise.
1: Yeah, there you go. Awesome, well done. Uh,
3: well, you know, I I just since he Googled it, I just Googled it and I came up with the most bizarre thing. Atlasphere. Which kind of kind of takes us right into Janet. The Atlasphere is a social networking and dating site for the admirers of Andran novels. Now how bizarre is that. That is bizarre.
1: There you go. Well, that is perfect. So all these individual heroes and heroines can find each other on the web. On the atmosphere. I think that is awesome. Well, you heard it here first, folks. So if you're looking for a libertarian to date, you know where to find one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is a perfect segue to bring in our... Janet Ong is a student of our school. We are thrilled that she's uh, just doing great things in the world. She has her a new website, In the Works, which is um, In the Works. It's I've visited it. I don't know if she wants to make it quite public yet because it's not due to launch for another month or so, but um, I think it's awesome uh, what you're doing, and we're very much looking forward to uh, hearing more about you and your path to coaching and and what you're doing. So Janet, welcome. Janet, are you there? There you are, I think. I am. Great. It's great to have you here. So, um so first tell us a little bit about how did you decide to become a coach?
2: Wow, that's a loaded question.
1: It is. That's <laughs> the kind <laughs> of questions is. I ask on the show, loaded ones.
2: <laughs> that's great. Well, you know, I have to say that I've always had a great interest in personal development and I've been fortunate to have um, a successful career in the corporate world. And at the same time, I really want to be able to do something directly to help people. And there were a lot of life lessons that I was able to learn as well as grow from and also transcend, and I just really fell into coaching. And I started to take the classes from Coachville, and that was my first real exposure, and I just loved everything that I was learning and just the interaction with the instructors and the students. And I just found that to be my passion, and so that's how I fell into it.
1: Well, what were you doing in your corporate career?
2: Um, in my corporate career, I've had a lot of experience in marketing, and um, as well as training and sales and human resources.
1: Well, that's pretty much everything. You did everything except manufacturing, from what I can hear.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right, and and finance and accounting because I'm not really a, a huge numbers person.
1: <laughs> okay, got it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. You know, I, I I taught many classes, you know, at least several classes where you were in the class, and you you do sort of seem like I don't know this is going to sound wrong, but you seem like a very logical, rational type of person. So when Hi. I when I read your website and also your, you know, the little blurb you said to Deanna and I about how, you know, the emotional aspect of life, I thought, that just seems so strange. That doesn't sound like you at all. <laughs> now, I know it is because I've heard you coach and you you, you are that way, but, but, it's, but the way you basically present yourself initially is this, you know, cool-headed, rational, very smart, got everything figured out sort of approach to life. Yes. And I just wonder how did, because that doesn't seem like, because that's not usually the type of person that ends up becoming a coach. So I'm just (laughs) wondering, how did this happen?
2: Right. That's a great question. And I have to say that the reason that I am the way you described, a lot of it has to do with the way that I was raised. And also, in the corporate environment, there's a certain, um, I guess, persona and professionalism um, that I felt that I wanted to and also needed to exhibit. And at the same time, though, I felt like through my life lessons and also just through personal development work, I realized, too, that the emotional aspects of myself is really what connects more with people rather than um, trying to maybe convince somebody of something through logical conversation. And so that aspect of myself I've um, been able to develop, but I also think that if I um, had not really fell into the love of learning and personal growth and had stayed in my logical mind... I wouldn't have a lot of access to um like these great feelings and just passion about life and just really um wanting to go out and do big things because the mind um easily talks us out of so many things and it's so true.
1: Heart.
2: Yeah, yeah, right. So, yeah, you make a good point and um of course, you know, the whole emotions and feelings area you know, I still am, you know, wanting to be able to d- develop even more. Um, but at this point, I feel like um, I'm working my way towards that and already have some of that good stuff. So,
1: yeah, it's yeah, really you good do. to have both. Now, you must have been in for a real eye-opener in the Superconductivity Inner Freedom class.
2: Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, what happened when you took that class?
2: Well, you know, that was one of the, I would say, just such a different way of looking at something in a non logical way. Because um, what I found in that class was that there are a lot of energies that, you know, I experienced perhaps maybe barriers that I wasn't aware of um, as much because in my mind it's like I could logically understand it and um, you know work through it. But the superconductivity added another layer of possibility to be able to dig in even deeper and just release um, that energy to be able to just move forward with more ease and flow.
1: Well, that is the idea of the program, so I'm glad that's what happened. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's
2: a great program.
1: I'm really glad that's what happened.
3: <laughs> All right.
1: Now, um, Coach Deanna, have you ever had Jenna in a class?
3: I have not actually. This is this is this is one of this is one of the rare occasions where I don't think I've been in a class for her with her or I've had her in a class. So I have not.
1: So you're just going to have to go based on on your overall impression.
3: Yeah, but you know I'm dying to ask a question. Go for it. <laughs> well, you know Janet, you sent this this pre-caffeine email and and I read it and I have been dying to know the answer to this question. Um it says that you transformed your love life Inside out In an unconventional way I have got to know What the
1: unconventional way is Well let me just tell you people Something right now Anyone who puts Unconventional In front of anything Will get Deanna's interest (laughs) It is true (laughs)
2: Well I did not know that But I'm glad I put that word there
1: (laughs) Yeah That was the key word You put unconventional In front of anything And then Deanna's like Oh I gotta know what that is
3: (laughs) (laughs) That is absolutely 100% the truth. Uh,
1: it's good to know we're getting to know each other. Now, Janet, we do really want to know. What is this unconventional approach?
2: Okay. So, so what it is as and I'll compare it to what a conventional approach would be is that um a lot of times people take conventional wisdom that's well-meaning from relationship experts or from friends and family. And what it ends up looking like is that um, if you want to really attract a great relationship, um, then you need to really um, sit back and take the female role and let the man be the one to pursue you. And um, you need to also you know, dress nicely, look the part, because men are attracted to looks um, initially. And while some of that is true, what happens is that, at least for me, um, and I tried all these different things, I really felt like I was wearing a mask, and I wasn't really able to be who I truly am. And I really thought, you know what, at some point, even if I am able to find a great relationship using these conventional approaches, it's not who I am, and then the mask is gonna fall off, and then it's gonna be me with somebody who thinks he's getting something else in a different package and so, so
3: true.
2: Um, I, yeah, and so I started to really um look at my role in all of these relationships that I you know have been through, and I realized that I have actually gone out with a lot of really good men. And what was the common denominator piece for me that I was contributing to these relationships to where they wouldn't work out? And so um, through a lot of self-reflection and also um, looking at these areas where I had a lot of um, beliefs and thoughts around how a relationship should be, how I should behave in a relationship, um, you know, what I expected from a relationship... I really realized that a lot of these things um, were based on these um, ways that society has of having us think of how we should um, approach a relationship or be in a relationship. And also these limiting beliefs um, were holding me back. And so really when I say um, from the inside out, it was really about looking at what my role was in the relationship I'm taking responsible for it from a being standpoint and looking at what it was that I wanted to attract and being the very thing that I wanted to attract. So if I wanted to attract somebody that was an open communicator that could really express his feelings, well, that was something that I needed to be able to do myself. And so, um, Yes. I just
1: want to stop you there for a moment because I read this on your website. Yes. And I thought I thought this was very good and uh, very powerful. And I'm I've been having this same kind of thing happen in my own life and and I think and a lot of people that I'm coaching. It's mm-hmm. this powerful idea from the environmental class, the personal environments class where you look at what's happening around you as a mirror to yourself. Right. And You know, and I thought this was really interesting how you wrote that, you know, you look at all these men that you were in a relationship with, and it's like, oh, this one's not an open communicator, and this one's not an open communicator, and this one's not an open communicator. Well, if they're all a mirror of me, huh, maybe I'm not an open communicator, but that doesn't sound right. I thought I was. (laughs) But yes. I must not be. If everyone around me is having this in their mirrors, then it must be me too. I thought that was really profound.
2: Right. But the funny thing is, Dave, you know, um, when I was in the relationship and not able to see it, it's amazing how many years I let go by thinking I was an open communicator when really I wasn't. And... You know, I think sometimes it takes um, like a certain, um, I don't want to say like where you fall to the bottom in order to realize, but I mean, for me, it happened to be that way. But sometimes it just takes like somebody like kicking you in the head. I mean, I'm not saying literally. <laughs> Figuratively speaking, I'm sure. Right, right. Yeah, right. Um, or like waking up to be able to really see that.
1: Yes, I think that's an excellent point, and that is, that's is—that's such a powerful thing for all of us coaches to learn. First of all, to look around at the world around us and see it as a reflection and understand that everything, every person, everything has a metaphorical meaning that is coming at us if we're willing to look at it. The other thing is, as coaches, to recognize is, you don't have to be perfect. You're, every time you try to step up and play bigger, you're going to notice things in your environment that are not a match for who you want to be. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. It means you're expanding and growing your game, and it's natural to have it be that way. So, it's, you know, as coaches, always want to be encouraged to look around and say, oh, my goodness, how did I sit here for five years not knowing – you know, you could, you could easily spin that the wrong way and say, well, if I'm so blind I can't see something for five years, how the heck am I going to be a coach? And I would say, don't spin it that way. Spin it the other way, which says, wow, I just finally saw. How exciting. Now I can teach other people how to see. Right. And I think that's what you're doing with, with what you're talking about with your relationship coaching, and I think that's awesome.
2: Yeah, and the other thing, too, is um, that I found is that a lot of people think that by doing something, they can have um, that person. And really, it's not how or what we're doing, but it's really how we're being. And so people tend to short-circuit the being aspect and go straight to the doing. But it's the being that really allows the doing to come out in the right way. And that kind of ties into like with the Coachville um, school when I was researching coaching schools. um, That was one of the aspects I felt was really great about Coachville because it also addressed the whole being part of somebody, which to me is like the foundation piece for somebody to be able to have what they want.
1: Yes. Well, you did talk about this too where you talked about, you know, when you started looking at your romantic relationships, you started noticing you started noticing things in two ways. You started noticing your own beliefs about how things need to be and how that might be holding you back. And that's powerful. And then you also started to notice um how the world around you was showing you what was really happening if you're just willing to look at it. And I think it's these two things that any great coaching has to look both ways. You have to look inside, but you can't just look inside. You also have to look around you because we are formed by our environment. So you want to look around you and see what there is to see and learn from that, look inside and see what there is to see, and it's that ability with a coach to look in and around that I think makes for a powerful coaching method.
2: Right. I totally agree.
1: It sounds like that's really what you've incorporated into your uh, big idea here. So now tell, tell me a little bit about your idea. I love this idea, Love for Successful Women. What is, what is that all about?
2: That is about how a lot of successful women are placing their focus and their time on their careers. And they're thinking that their love life will just fall into place like their career has. And before they know it, they spent so many years and being successful in what it is that they're doing that by the time they realize and wake up, to the fact that they don't have the love that they want, then they're trying to um, scramble in a way to make something happen. And the thing of it is is that it's really um, necessary for women, and not just women, but everyone to be able to place the same amount of focus in their career as in their personal life, as in their love life. And so, um, I feel really strong about successful women specifically because I have walked in their shoes and I was somebody who did put my energy and time into my career just thinking that my love life would fall into place. And so I just have a real passion around, you know, helping these women to really find and create the true love that they deserve. Well,
1: I'm curious. Is,
3: yeah, go I'm ahead, curious. Yes, I'm curious well. Okay, so being being super busy now. I'm in a great relationship and everything's really fabulous, but I remember you know when I was working with Rock School and my life was all about Rock School and and being really successful and getting it to a place where it needed to be and and I you know, I have an inkling about that. I should be spending just as much time looking for a successful relationship after a really long string of, of um, really bad first dates. <laughs> um, so I'm curious. So you have a super successful wo- woman who is really career-oriented. What would be the first thing you would say to her if she came to a session saying, well, I just don't really have the time?
2: That That's a really good question because I guess it really is a matter of looking at, okay, well, what is your priority in life? Because if you really do want to create true love and yet you say you don't have the time, then where is it that you're placing your attention on that perhaps you don't need to at this point so that you can shift it over into creating true love? Because you are right in that we all are given a certain amount of time. And the way that we spend our time, um, hopefully, you know, ideally we would want to spend it in the places that we value the most. But a lot of times we don't necessarily do that. And so um, it's taking a look at, okay, where is it that um, the time is being spent where maybe it's not necessary to spend it there so that you can take it into um, creating true love, if that's what you really want to do.
1: I think this is a very interesting point. I think a couple of things are at play. Um, and, and just, it's so interesting to weave it into this whole Atlas Shrugged movie because in the Atlas Shrugged movie, the two main characters, actually the three main characters of the first part, who are the three who are successful in business in spite of government regulations. That the movie is about, all three of them have no relationship, or do not have a happy, loving one, and it's almost like they're painting this picture like you have to choose between right. business success or romantic success, and I and I. and so I thought that was very interesting. I mean, they, it's so clear and obvious, but at the same time, it's funny that Deanna pointed out that, you know, atlasphere thing, because... The only time when you think, oh, these creative, resourceful, make things happen people are going to be really happy in romance is if they find each other rather than the people they're already with. So there is something about finding people who are a match for who you really are. And I think what happens a lot of times, at least for very successful women, is they have a hard time figuring out how to find a match for who they really are so they can be successful in business and be in romantic relationship with someone who respects their success and and doesn't feel thwarted by it or diminished by it, and all these things that can get in the way. I think a lot of people just think it's just impossible, so they just won't even they just don't even try well, or they't something yeah. like that go ahead,
2: right no, Dave, you make a really good point, and I also think that um with work, right, it's really easy to be successful because there, there is more of a formula and we tend to use more of our left brains when we're working. And so I think um, successful women, they can't really apply that same approach and that same formula that they use in their career into finding love because love is more of a soft skill and it really involves getting out of your head and leading more with your heart. Yes. I mean, I'm,
3: I'm, right now, I'm thinking of something. I can't remember if it was when we when we had Bo Blazes on, we had Marilyn Davidson on. But I just found this really big note that I wanted to to bring into the Become a Coach game, which is, coach who you are, right? And it's date who you are, coach who you are, friend who you are, and then yeah. life becomes a different experience.
1: Yeah, really good point. Yeah, you have to find people who are a match for who you are. Right. But then you have to be willing to be who you really are.
3: That requires figuring out who you are. And and also, um, like Jenna said at the beginning, she thought she was an open communicator. And sometimes the hardest thing is recognizing what you are in the moment um, and then making sure that you fit into that. So, you know, inner freedom all over the place. (laughs)
1: Yeah, inner freedom is all over the place. Jenna, we we did you, when you took the program, it was superconductivity. We changed the name to inner freedom because it seemed to really have more of a resonance for what it's all about. But you, so but that's what it is. I mean, it's this whole inner freedom. Are you free to be truly yourself?
2: Right, And especially
1: in social situations, and this kind of weaves in the whole social animal concept, you know, from that I think the whole Inner Freedom course ties so closely to this book by David Brooks, The Social Animal, is that most of our social engagement are governed by the unconscious mind. So it is quite mysterious. You can't really take a logical, strategic approach to it, which is just what you're saying. You have to come from the heart, which is, you know, uh, and it it just is a bit mysterious,
2: right? Yeah, I agree. And you know what's so interesting? Um, I saw him on CNN yesterday. Did you happen to see him? No. David Brooks.
1: I'm gonna have to check and, that out.
2: Yeah, it was it was fascinating, and I thought, oh my gosh, this is the whole missing piece to our government. Wow. Yeah, I have to say that it's it was a fabulous episode. Anyways, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to divert it. But when you no, that's really good. <laughs> I'm going to look it
1: up on YouTube yeah. and, and find it.
3: <laughs> here we go, people. We discovered the missing link on Coachville Caffeine. <laughs> yeah, it's all right here on
1: Coachville Cafe, people.
0: <laughs>
1: well, you know, you're right. I mean, the whole thing is the idea of the social animal is, you know, this. Big awareness that our social engagements are governed by our unconscious mind, not our logical reasoning mind. So the way you act towards people which governs your your romantic success for sure, but in but now the way business is being done, it actually dictates even more in our business lives and career lives, our social Engagements, the social animal within is what really is driving the show, so you've got to become aware of this of your patterns and they're unconscious. The only way to become aware is through this kind of reflection and looking and and you know all the things that you describe doing and the things that we do in our inner freedom. Uh, program. But this is, it's really awesome and I love that you're taking this on and you really are perfect because anyone who meets you, you know, on the web or however is going to say, wow, this is a woman that clearly has it together, professional success. You've got that whole piece down pat. I mean, you definitely have, you know, you have that. So the fact that you can say, okay, I was there and now I was able to figure out how to add, you know, romantic success to my career success. That's going to be very appealing, I would think, to a lot of successful women.
2: Yes. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to be able to um help and support women in that. So Yeah. I'm
1: just saying So let's here talk smiling. about <laughs> No, I think it's really, really awesome. And plus, I mean, you know, loveforsuccessfulwomen.com. I mean, come on, how perfect is that? I mean, how could how could you even expect to find that domain name available? That is so good. That is awesome. That's well done. All right, so now, so Janet, tell us about how you are doing with moving into becoming a successful coach because that's a big move to step you know, out of your traditional career success to being more of a solopreneur, doing coaching is a, you know, a, a, a lifestyle business, which is a little different than going and being successful at a job. So how, how is that transition going for you?
2: You know, it's going really well. And I have to say that a lot of the reason that it's going well is I'm working with a mentor coach who is just wonderful Um And I really believe that there's a huge difference if I tried to do this on my own versus having a mentor coach. And so that's been really helpful to have um, her guidance as well as um, feedback and support. And so that's one of the ways um, that I'm transitioning into the coaching aspect. And then the other way to um, look at, okay, within my coaching, what types of programs and services Am I offering? And so I offer the individual coaching, as well as um, group coaching and workshops, um, teleclasses, and then I also do speaking engagements. And so, I have a question.
1: Um, yeah. yeah, go for it, Um uh,
2: I mean, it is
3: it is a big transition to go from the corporate world to I mean, ju- not just coaching, but to, to to coaching in an area like this. And um, I. I am working with students in both the Become a Coach game and in Step Up and Stand Out, And, and this conversation has come up in both classes, and so I'm curious how you feel about this. I have a lot of students who feel really outside of their comfort zone. Um, to to begin the visibility process, and it's all about making that transition and how people in their lives and in their professional fields will feel when they say, well, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to be a coach. Mm -hmm. Um, And you're making a pretty big transition from the corporate world into a very linear um, background into such a wide-open emotional Coaching i mean it 's not just coaching, but it's the genre you 're choosing to work in um, that's a huge step. so how do you feel about that visibility aspect and, and and sharing that with the people in your professional life?
2: Well, you know what is um, the very thing that your students are bringing up is also the very thing that i've also come across with, and it's a situation for me where I'm taking it in steps because, honestly, if I look at the, I guess, the whole elephant, then I would become probably more fearful, to be honest. Um, But I think because I'm looking at it more from, okay, my ultimate goal, ultimate outcome is what I mentioned earlier about wanting to do coaching within all of those different realms. So in order for me to get there then, if I put together a plan and take it step-by-step, step, it's less um, of an unsettling feeling. And so, m- like, my best advice I could give at this stage to the students is really to, like, know where it is that you want to be and be very clear about it. And then from there design the steps to put into place. And then as far as like letting um like the people that I've work with know or letting my friends and family know, my friends and my family do know and I feel like, you know, they're very supportive because they know that I'm level headed and it's not like I'm making rash decisions. Um and as far as like with my company, I'm doing it in small steps because I can't just go say, Hey, I'm gonna be planning to leave here on this date, and so I just want to let you know, I can't really do that because I still, you know, am doing the transition thing, but I am being more honest about um, my love for coaching and letting them know that, you know, I'm taking these coaching classes, um, and so by the time it happens to where I'm completely transitioned, um, it's not going to be a surprise or a shock.
1: So let's just basically say you've come out of the coaching closet.
2: <laughs> I have. Well,
3: I was actually gonna, I was going to ask you that question, Dave, because you went from a completely <laughs> different pre- profession to coaching also. Yes. Um and and
1: Yeah, and you got to come out of the coaching closet. That's closet, what I had to do. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, I was consulting, uh, you know, and had a great very, you know, lucrative, successful coaching con, you know, consulting contract. And then I heard about coaching and, you know, I started out, you know, just coaching at night and on Saturdays and not really saying much about it in my in my corporate consulting work. I was kind of keeping it under wraps. But once I had a little success going, you know, first I just told everyone, all well, my friends, and family, I told them first, and I started trying to, you know, get some clients that way. But then once I got it going a little bit, then I was more up front with, with my consulting clients, letting them know that I was, you know, transitioning into becoming a full-time coach, and, you know, probably take a few years, so it's not happening right now, so I'm happy to have this, you know, this contract or that contract. But I had to, you know, I, so I, I, I felt better, like Janet is saying, when I was just totally up front about the whole thing. And then, you know, the, I don't know. I, I'm sure there's ways that this can happen more gracefully. But you know, my my life always usually doesn't work in a graceful manner. So I was <laughs> I had this really big contract with a company, and then that company got bought by American Express. And then American Express, I was meeting with them, and they were going to re- you know, keep my contract in place. And then just out of the blue, like two weeks later, they just decided to cancel my contract. So I went from you know having full, you know, pretty much full-time consulting work to having just nothing and ten, you know, small fee-paying coaching clients. And I was like, oh crap! You know, first I was really scared, and then I said, well, this must be the universe giving me a sign so come
3: out of the coaching closet.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like all right, I guess I'm going full on people, so I just sent a <laughs> note to everyone that I that I knew that said, all right, it's on. I'm full-time coach. And you know, I had I got, you know, it was amazing. I got like 15 paying clients in 2 weeks.
3: Oh, so so we're we're. This is the week where everybody comes back to class to tell me how the launch letter went out. So you actually sent the launch letter out?
1: Yeah, I did a launch letter, and that's when everything started happening.
3: Okay. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna Oops. use you as a reference in class this week.
1: Well, that's why I put the launch letter into that program because that's what I did. I didn't just make it up out of the blue.
3: <laughs> yes. Well, now I'm gonna use your story though. Okay. Good. <laughs>
1: That is really good, and, and sadly, we um, I think we've lost Janet. Oh, maybe she's back. Oh, Janet, are I'm you back. back?
2: I am. Sorry about that. I don't know what happened.
1: We just lost you there for a moment, but we're happy to have you back. We were Deanna and I were just off on a tangent talking about launch <laughs> letters.
2: <laughs> now, now, Janet,
1: did you do the Step Up and Stand Out program?
2: I did. I did.
1: Okay, so you know about sending a launch letter.
2: I do. Have, I have you to, sent it? Um, <laughs> Yeah, I have, I have, and I have to say um, that class was super powerful.
1: Well, do tell. How? What happened?
2: Because it really helps to put the teachings into actual, I would say, practice at a higher level, because it forces it kind of forced me to step up and stand out, Not, no pun intended. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, and um, it was really very, I thought, very good in that it helped me get more outside of my comfort zone and become more visible. And I think that when a coach first starts out, the visibility piece is a little uncertain because they're not sure how they're going to go about doing so. And that class is really a good um, stepping stone to feel more comfortable about
1: visibility. Well, that's what the class is all about, so I'm glad that's what you figured out. (laughs) 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 That's really good. I love it when a class actually does what it's supposed to do.
3: It is important. And speaking of, it's just a few minutes before, so I have to go to the Become a Coach game and talk to them about getting out of the coaching closet. So. <laughs> All right, go for it. Thank you, Deanna. Well
1: done. <laughs> bye, bye, everybody. Thank you. Bye. Deanna. All right, Janet. So now, you're—I—I I mean, I think you're amazing, and I've always loved having you in class. Thank and, you. And you know, you have this great energy, this great spirit you know, for life. So it just seems like, to me, coaching is really just the perfect thing for you. I have to agree. Yeah. It just seems like, yeah, this is what you were meant to be doing. What took you so long? (laughs) I know.
2: I agree with you. You know, I wish I could have short-circuited the um, path, but I think it was meant to take me this long
1: i uh, i i and I was just teasing you i mean it's not like you can go back and fix it now it's like well it is it is it's got to, there's a perfection to it i'm sure
2: right yeah
1: so tell me what is what is your real um you know you you've got a transition plan, you're taking it one day at a time but what is your what what is next for you what do you think is the next step in terms of your personal growth with becoming a coach?
2: I think my next step with that would be to really great or get out and have more visibility, definitely. Because right now I'm putting together a plan for when my website launches. And it's going to require um, to be more visible. And so that would be, I would say, like my next big
1: step, yes, yep well said, I think that is it, and that's really for most people in business that is the that is the thing I mean that is the the frontier it's the visibility is the real frontier where the game is played and where we have to step up and be and be willing to step out of our comfort zone. that's a big deal,
2: right. And I think the beauty of it is, is that once we do start to take the steps, then it expands the comfort zone to where the steps then we subsequently take are much larger.
1: Yes, exactly. You have a multiplying effect. Right. Yep. Yeah, that is exactly exactly right. Wow. Well, this is good. I would love if you, you know, and it's very generous of you to, to be on the show, and I would love if you would share, you know, because you are, uh, you know, one of our students that we're very excited about and, and happy about. I'm wondering if if maybe you could share maybe what was one or two of your highlights from the Center for Coaching Mastery and helping you become the coach that you're becoming.
2: Sure. I would say that, like, okay, the first biggest highlight would be the foundational piece that the Center for Coaching Mastery helps with, because I I see that there are many people out there where they are being coaches, and they don't necessarily have the training for it, and not that it's a right or wrong thing, but for myself, I just felt like, to me, I am treating coaching as a professional um, career. Yes. And so it was really important for me to have a good foundation and to be able to have the foundation from a school that was going to provide a really good program, and not just the program, but deliver it in a way where it would really be able to stick with me. Um, so awesome. I would say that um, that probably um, is my biggest Um, what I just loved and then the other piece of it too is the people, um, the instructors and the students um, through Coachville are just so wonderful and so supportive and just a really great community to be able to um, connect with and I say that this because for me I don't have a lot of other friends that are coaches and so right. um, it's really wonderful to be able to have the support of a coaching environment. To know that everyone is on the same page, and to be able to support them as well as be supportive.
1: Yes, that's such a great point. It is a great community, and and I just want to ask you one one more thing before we wrap up here, because you you know you came, obviously you're from a corporate, very sophisticated you know, professional, et cetera, background. And, you know, Coachville's kind of quirky. Yes. So I'm wondering, how did you manage to choose Coachville?
2: You know, it's funny because um, I did see coaching schools that seemed like they were more um, business-oriented as far as their approach. But I chose Coachville because I felt like the... Different types of courses that were offered um, were very helpful, and I really liked the philosophy that Coachville has about everyone um, has a big game to play and how um, coaches can really help people play to their full potential. And so it just, for me, it was just a really good feeling when I was considering between Coachville and other programs. And so, yeah, and I loved the quirkiness, actually, because I feel like everyone in life, we're we're not robots, and um, so some of the other programs were a little bit more structured, where Coachville was a little bit more free flow, and yet there was a little structure there, too, but it was more individual, more personal.
1: Yes, it's a good point. I mean, we have a little bit of structure, but we also have a lot of quirkiness. Right,
2: right, yeah. (laughs) But that's what makes it so great.
1: <laughs> well, coming from a corporate type such as yourself, I really appreciate you that. <laughs> that is funny. Awesome. Well, Janet, you are delightful. We look forward to having you back on when your site is just cooking and you're having all sorts of Successful corporate career gals have amazing romantic relationships, and you can give us an update on how that's going.
2: I would love to, and thank you so much for having me on this morning,
1: oh, or this afternoon. Really, yeah, this <laughs> afternoon now. No worries. It's, all ti- it's only a time zone. It's morning somewhere, so that's okay. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so um, Janet's website is loveforsuccessfulwomen.com, it is just up in a beta mode right now. You can get a little glimpse of Janet, but it'll be up full on, I guess, in a couple of weeks. So, uh, but just keep that site in your in your in your background, and in a month or so, go and have a look. And then, I'm sure Janet would love to have you uh, visit and also recommend her amazing program to any successful corporate gals looking for love. And uh, she will be able to coach them with great success. So. Uh, Janet, thank you so much for, for being on the show today. It's been awesome. Thank you, Dave. Captain, that's a wrap.
0: Very good. Relationship success with Coach Janet Ong today on our program. Thank you for joining us here at the World Headquarters for the Play Big Revolution. This broadcast is copyright 2011 by Coachville, LLC. Join us again next week, same time and place, both here on our phone lines and around the world on blogtalkradio.com. I'm Vince Hayes. We'll see you all next Monday for your weekly boost. Bye-bye, everyone.
1: Bye, everyone.